Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and happy Wednesday. It's time for a special edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Why are we coming to you on a Wednesday on our day off? Well, because we had an extraordinary interview with Dan Hoffman, the former CIA station chief and 30-year veteran of the CIA. He served in Moscow. He is one of the intelligence community's premier experts on Russia tradecraft, on all things China and North Korea. He's got an amazing a set of insights into what went right and wrong under John Brennan's tenure at the CIA that I wanted you to hear. He also talks about how America can really tip the scales in its favor after this pandemic and in the economic war for supremacy that it is engaged in with China. China's acted badly during this coronavirus. It withheld from the world important knowledge for many, many days and weeks, which kept us from being able to respond more quickly and contain this pandemic then it burst onto the scene and we found out how much China knew much earlier. He's got a very novel idea on how we even the score and how we make America better as a result of this, how we change the balance of power between us and China. It has to do with changing our manufacturing supply lines, but it's an interesting idea. How about a made in the free world label that encourages companies to get out of China and put their manufacturing somewhere other than in Beijing under Beijing's control? Hoffman's here to talk about that as well. So part two of Dan Hoffman's incredible interview with the John Solomon Reports podcast coming up right after this commercial break. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, Daniel Hoffman, the former CIA station chief in Moscow and one of the intelligence community's great experts. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's always a, a real pleasure and an honor to uh, to join you. Well, one of the learning lessons that's important for me in, the, in my profession is that we learn from this as news reporters that we were aiders and abettors of this um intelligence uh, operation, that uh, the media's hysterical coverage without realizing that in plain view, Russia wanted this to play out this way is is something we have to get better at. uh, And we have to take challenge and challenge our people like the Brennans and the and the um, Adam Schiff's of the world to uh, hold them to account when they give us a story that turns out not to be um, not to be true. But what what a remarkable time. Do you, um, when you look at the media's coverage and look at some of the congressional oversight that occurred early on, you put your rearview mirror in, does it look kind of naive to you? 
one of the things that bothers me the most is when someone kind of starts with their answer and then they try to twist the facts to fit it. I saw Brennan do that when I served under him at CIA and I saw him do it when he was a, you know, he's been a contributor at MSNBC, accused the president of treason with nothing whatsoever to back it up, said that Vladimir Putin had something on President Trump. I mean, that was an extraordinary dereliction of duty. I don't even know why he's still um, given the opportunity to be on the air at all after all of that. Um, that, you know, I think the, the viewers would have assumed that because Brennan was director CIA, he would know something that they don't, and they probably believed him. And the problem is that I think a lot of folks in, in congressional oversight listened to John Brennan too and said, well, John Brennan must know something. And they, they, they kind of cottoned on to that as the end game. Um, and you know, that's, that's wrong. You've got to be dispassionate. You've got to just go where the facts lead you or, you know, or don't get on the road at all. And, and I think that's a good lesson for, for our congressional oversight is just, you know, you might be surprised about where this leads, but just look at the facts, be dispassionate, don't have predisposed views. It's hard because Washington's all about politics, but you'd like to think that in the intelligence committees, House and Senate, that they would kind of leave politics at the water's edge and, and focus on national security. It's pretty clear. Now, you worked for John Brennan for several years. You're not a big fan of his leadership or his tenure at the CIA, are you? No, uh, I'm not. Uh, um, listeners can can read all about that if you'd like to. I, um, But again, my, my major problem with him was he, he had a policy. There were policies he supported, um, whether it was the policy in Syria or Iran. And when you told him something that would force him, you would hope to challenge his assumptions, he would, his response was just to get mad at you and not really want to hear what you had to say. Um, and so it, that encourages people to be kind of obsequious sycophants, which is not the way it's supposed to be in the intelligence community. You're supposed to be able to speak your mind and, and not fear for any um, you know recrimination if you do so. And, and you know, it just wasn't the way that he was. And I just, just find his his behavior to be abysmal, um, unpatriotic in in retirement. I just uh, I just I think he's done a real disservice to the national dialogue on national security, but on Russia in particular. And if you're concerned about about partisanship, uh, he's just made it worse. Frankly, you know, if he had concerns about President Trump, then go tell you know um, Bob Mueller about it. But you don't need to speak up publicly about stuff that doesn't even isn't even true on MSNBC. Um, you cause a lot of collateral damage in, in, in Washington. And then our, you know, our foreign partners, foreign governments hear you and, and wonder whether they should be working with us because of the statements, the allegations you're making that are not true. It's he, just uh, it's it's uh, really damaging, you know, to our national security. Yeah, the um, the CIA has been run by Gina Haspel the last few years, and there's been a lot of successes. There were a lot of things that had to be cleaned up. We lost a lot of uh, human in China uh, by all the reports that I've seen. Uh, a big big loss of human source intelligence for a period of time. You recently wrote a column that I thought was very provocative, uh, and it was early in this COVID um, uh, crisis. You said that this uh, coronavirus outbreak would be China's Chernobyl moment. I wonder if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what you meant and what the likely realignment uh, between U.S. and China relations will uh, occur after this. Yeah, so first of all, I got to tell you, just um, I was so pleased when President Trump nominated Gina Haspel to be the director. I thought that was a fantastic choice. I mean, look, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, there are very few um, 
gosh, hardly anyone else I know in the cabinet personally, uh, but I know her, I worked with her, worked for her. And I just thought that was a, an extraordinarily, um, it's just a great choice. And I, I thought kudos to President Trump for making that decision. It was a fantastic decision to make. Um, and she's done a fantastic job of leading the CIA. Uh, you know, when when China, when it became clear China was covering up the outbreak of the coronavirus, I just hearkened back to Chernobyl. I was a student in London when that the worst nuclear you know accident in the history of the world happened. And I remember that, you know, that the radiation from Chernobyl made it all the way through uh, northern Europe, all the way to to the UK where I was living. And uh, right. I remember even at the time out in front of our school, there were these communist, you know, newspaper guys who were shilling for the Soviet Union. And I remember asking, like walking up to one of them and saying, what are you doing? How can you do this for a, for the Soviet Union when they have just been responsible for this massive nuclear accident? And not only that, they told no one about it. And, you know, that was a part of what drove the Soviet Union into the ash heap of history. And in the case of China, similarly, uh, they never told their own citizens in Wuhan. They allowed them to go to banquets um, and celebrate the Chinese New Year. They didn't admit that there was that 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 the coronavirus was um, a national health emergency until January 20. That's a month after roughly it was discovered, even. And of course, they didn't tell anyone outside of China. Um, they have you know bureaucrats who knew that if they gave bad news to Xi. Jinping, Thing, they were going to be in a lot of trouble, and many of them were arrested. Doctors who tried to ring the alarm bells were arrested and threatened, um, and some, uh, you know, one of them died from the virus himself. Um, he did, right? Yeah, and so, you know, the the thing about dictatorships like communist China's is, I mean, they want to control, you know, information. That's why they built the Great Firewall so that you know the internet doesn't make its way into China. That's not a very, you know, it's not easy to do that. And ultimately, I think they'll fail at it. And I think we will look back at this as a failure of Chinese, um, the Chinese government. And I think their people um, will, in some way, somehow hold their government accountable for the number of people who were killed needlessly, because they never responded the way that they should have. And now they're trying to change the, the narrative as if China mobilized and dealt with this um, pandemic better than a democracy could. That's just a load of bunk. We know that's not true. And we know that everything that comes from that's China, true. as the president correctly pointed out, don't believe the numbers on how many people have contracted the virus or how many people have died from it. You just can't trust China. That's why we need our intelligence community out there front and center recruiting spies and stealing secrets so we can understand the severity of the of the pandemic in China, the extent to which China is trying to cover it up and their concern that their failures impact on their regime security. That's what it's all about, I think, for them. I've read some uh, really remarkable articles, articles the last few weeks, both from people who you know subscribe to liberal policies and those who subscribe to um, conservative policies, saying that one of the great dangers or grave dangers of, of the globalization of the economy is that sometimes we became codependent on somebody that we like to think is our friend, but actually is a frenemy or maybe even enemy, a rival. Um, what we've learned about our reliance on drug supplies, hospital supplies, other supplies from China here in America, uh, will this moment, this Chernobyl moment in China, which I know you, you meant to suggest it was going to bring internal questioning of their leadership, 
Will it lead to a realignment in how much dependency the U.S. puts on China in manufacturing supply? You know, I hope that it does, but not just the United States. I think what we need to do is go out forth and and work with all our allies in Asia and all over the world and remove their dependence. China's on China. China's not a reliable supplier. They're going to supply you with what matters to you in return for something. We all know that they've practiced debt trap diplomacy. That's the you know the truth about their so-called uh, right. Belt Road Initiative, um, where they they get countries to sign on to infrastructure projects, get into debt, and then demand something in return. Sometimes it's a port, of, you know. Other times it's a piece of land, um, or political influence, or attacks on Taiwan, whatever it is that China wants. So the United States, I think, is entering potentially a a global competition with China along the lines that we saw with the Soviet Union, where we have our way, freedom and democracy and and capitalism, and they have theirs, you know, state-run communism. And we've been through this before. And it's it's a, the supply chain is critical. We've talked about it for Huawei on technology because the Chinese will try to spy on us. Um, and remember, you know, they're they they militarize in the South China Sea, they steal our intellectual property, conduct massive espionage. They just conducted low-grade nuclear tests, um, right? and so we need to work with our allies all over the world. Let's get the supply chain to somewhere reliable. The United States of America, we should be producing this stuff and selling it all over the world. And uh, I think that the extent to which we can show ourselves to be the reliable um, you know, uh, exporter of all of these things that matter to others, I think we can actually achieve some economic gain as well as strategic gain. Uh, going forward in what is going to be a competition with China. It doesn't mean we can't work with China. You know, President Reagan famously fought against the Soviets in Afghanistan and called them an evil empire and demanded that Secretary Gorbachev tear down the wall, still today one of the greatest speeches ever made, and at the same time signed arms control agreements with the Soviet Union. So there's things you can do with China, but you got to remember we are in global competition with them. So in your mind, there is a potential... A movement here for a made in America or not made in China or, or made in the free world movement that that should be bigger than the United States, right? Across the Western world, is that is that something you see could be valuable to our changing the strategic balance? I do, and I think and I think we can lead it. We've always led the free world. You know, we are. You know, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see the president of the United States leading the free world and and leading a path forward for how we avoid um, risking our national security, our health, um, and our economies by linking them uh, in ways we shouldn't to China. And I think, again, we can be the global leader as the global engine of the world. We've got the strongest economy in the world. And uh, we frankly have, you know, a way our political system, it works, you know, and, and it's, it's messy at times, but it sure does work. And people sure do like it here. Uh, and I think there is an opportunity for the United States to lead on the global stage. And frankly, I think you could get behind this from both sides of the aisle. You know, I can't imagine um, that, you know, our elected leaders wouldn't all agree to this. Uh, there's just too much opportunity for us economically as well as uh, from a national security perspective. It is remarkable. My I could sit and talk to you all day. I'm always fascinated by uh, by our conversations and so lucky to to count you as a friend. Um, I want to wrap this up. I want to ask you one last question, and I know it's a broad question. And it's a, a question I like to ask a lot of people. But um, when you look out over the horizon, which is something you're always doing, assessing the next threats, 
what are the biggest threats facing America over these next six months to a year? What are things that we as Americans, our policy and media elites, what should we be looking to as a threat to to America's future? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of them out there. And, and you know, one of the things that a lot of the our young people uh, will will contact me because they want to go work in the intelligence community. And I always tell them there's no better time to go work in the intelligence community than right now. Uh, there are more diverse threats to our national security than, you know, than ever in our history. I mean, we've got the standard ones, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, uh, transnational terrorism. But then you've also got, you know, this pandemic and, and the impact on the stability of other nations and what that means for us. Cybersecurity, uh, state and non-state actors seeking to do us harm. Imagine cyber terrorists targeting us or bioterrorism, where somebody launches a virus like this and tries to cause us harm. So, I mean, there's just a tremendous number of, of things that we need to be focused on and need to be worried about. Um, there is, look, global warming and climate change is causing um, potentially upheavals in different parts of the world. Imagine, you know, a billion Indian uh, Indians clamoring or protesting over um, lack of food or water. Um, you know, those are those are challenges for us. The intelligence community plays a role in all of those um, in terms of just collecting information and collecting information on other governments. If you're worried about, as the president is, how other nations don't adhere to the agreements we sign, including on climate change, then it's up to the intelligence community to, to collect the intelligence to show the president that, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. China is polluting massively, even though they have signed deals saying that they're not. I mean, there isn't a deal that the Chinese sign that they actually adhere to. Um, so, you know, it's it's a it's a role I think Gina Haspel is playing extraordinarily well. She's behind the shadows as a director CIA should be as the president's consigliere. And again, I just get back to, um, you know, the 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 uh, how I think thankful all of us retired from the agency were that he that he chose her and and. You know, it's a hard job to do. She's been in it for you know almost four, three years as director, and one as deputy. I, I you know, I give her a lot of credit for that. Uh, it's a tough job, and I give a lot of credit to everyone who's serving right now. This is a hard time for our whole national security team. It's, uh, but it's also the best time to serve. You know, it's most worthwhile. Well, uh, we'll add that credit to you as well, because for those of us who sleep well at night, knowing our country is well served, you're one of those patriots who did that. And uh, for your service, for your insights, Dan, I want to thank you personally and also for coming on the show and sharing them with our uh, our great audience today. Uh, thanks again for, for such a great interview. Thanks a lot. I look forward to next time. All right. We'll be talking soon. Thank you. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. This one, a special edition, a special broadcast, thanks to the extended interview we were given with uh, Dan Hoffman, the CIA's former station chief in Moscow and one of the country's premier experts on all things Russia, China, North Korea, you name it. Middle East, too. He spent a lot of time in the Middle East. We're very lucky to have had Dan. I hope you enjoyed this special episode. Tomorrow, we're going to be back, and I've got some news for you. We have a speaker in the House. I mean, as in Newt Gingrich, the former Speaker of the House. He joins us to talk about China, Russia, the election, Congress, uh, and how we're all going to recover from this long time at home during the pandemic. I don't want you to miss that. So tune in tomorrow. John Solomon reports the podcast from Just the News. We're going to be with Newt Gingrich for the whole time. 
you're not going to want to miss this. Until then, be safe, be healthy, enjoy your time with your family, and be sure to check out justthenews.com where there's breaking news and important investigative stories going on all the time.